0: We've been talking about the core things that we believe in the first four sermons we talked about true Jesus, which is the idea of man what does our relationship with God look like Then we talked about true community, which is what does our relationship with one another look like and to, last week we started and tonight we 're talking about true purpose, which is really what what is our purpose in the world and so last week, uh, just as a recap, what we talked about is that god 's purpose in the world is to bless the world, and that 's been the very beginning, his plan from the from the very, very beginning, that was God's plan. With Adam and Eve, even in the garden, it says God made them and God blessed them, and then everything goes south, everything goes bad, and then God grabs a man named Abraham and he tells him, hey, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to create a community of blessing, so that God's strategy to bless the world is to create a community of blessing, and then when you get to the New Testament, when, when the, the church gets established, that's the same commission really that the church has, which is to be a community of blessing. So that's what we talked about last week, that God's purpose in the world is to bless the world, and his strategy is to create a community of blessing, and that's really what the church is about. Can you turn me down just a little bit, Adam? Um, so that's that's kind of what uh, we talked about last week, and tonight we're going to really continue just on the same theme, but just dig in a little bit uh, deeper and talking about what is our purpose. What's our purpose? And I don't know anybody that says, "Man, I don't really want to have a life of purpose." I mean, and if you if you believe that, then let's talk and I'll pray for you. But most people don't want to get to the end of their life and go, yeah, I wasted it. Okay, I can die now. I mean, nobody wants that, right? I mean, we want to go, man, that was worthwhile. That was good. That was a life of purpose. Everybody wants that. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you are, I mean, old, young, black, white, it doesn't matter. Everybody wants to live a life that actually matters, right? Um, I mean, that's that's just something we want. So, We want to live a life of purpose. I've said this before, but I think the best-selling book of all time, other than the Bible, is a book called The Purpose-Driven Life. Um, I've never actually read it, but I think just the title of that even speaks to the fact that people want a life of purpose. They want something, they want to go, man, I lived and it counted. I lived and it mattered. I lived and it was actually purposeful. Now, here's the thing. How do we know that we have a life of purpose? And people fill in the blank with all sorts of things, right? Right? And we can put in there, well, I know my life has purpose because I'm happy. I know my life has purpose because I love what I do. I know my life has purpose because I'm making the world a better place. Or I know the life has purpose because I'm giving back to my children. And we can fill in the blanks with a lot of things, and, and people do, right? But how do we know if we actually have... A life of purpose, and, and what we said last week, and what we're going to continue to talk about tonight, is that the only way that we can actually have a life of true purpose is if our purpose in life is connected to God's purpose in life. Now, if there's no God and you don't and you don't believe that, um, then then it just make your own purpose really, and that's how a lot of people operate. Man, just do whatever makes you happy, do whatever however you want to live. But if there is a God, and He has actually created the world, and He actually has intentions for the world then it would make sense that for us to connect to purpose is to connect to what God's purpose is. Okay, And this is what we spent last week talking about, and I encourage you, if you weren't here, to, to listen to that. But we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper tonight, Which and this is just another way to talk about what's God's purpose, is this, what is God's heart for people? Like what's God, what does God really care about for you, for me, for the people outside of these walls, for the world? What is God, I mean, What is God's heart for people? that's another way to talk about what's God's purpose what is God's heart for people and so we're going to look at a passage tonight in the Bible in the book of Matthew so if you have a Bible I want you to go to Matthew chapter 8 and uh, you can pull it up on your phone too or just one of the, the Bibles in front of you and you can have that Bible in front of you if you don't have one and you'd like one if you'd like a cheap one you can have that one if you'd like a nice one then let me know and we'll get you a nice one but if you want a cheap one you can have that one Um, and here's what, uh, here's what happens in Matthew, okay? This is, so if you've, uh, so if you're not a Christian, you've heard things like turn the other cheek or do not judge, and all of those things come out of, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is this famous sermon that Jesus gave, and that happens right before what we're going to look at, okay? And if you are a Christian, you've, you know what the Sermon on the Mount is, you've, you've read it. Okay, and it's some of the most famous stuff in the Bible. It's one of Jesus' most famous sermons, probably the most famous sermon. Okay, that's Matthew 5 through 7. Now, chapter 8, it starts to talk about some of the things that Jesus was doing in his ministry, in his time on earth. Okay, now I just want you to look at the headings with me, and I think our Bibles are the same if you have them. If you, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can just kind of listen. But here's, here's the different headings of what it says is happening. Okay? Matthew chapter 8, Jesus cleanses a leper. So leprosy is this disease. It still exists today, but it's a disease. Your skin's all falling off, and Jesus heals one of these dudes. Then the next heading is the faith of a centurion. This guy's got a sick servant. Jesus heals him. Then you got Jesus heals many. Okay? So they didn't want to keep creating more and more stories for everybody. So the guy was like, how about Jesus heals many? Um, and one of them in particular is Peter's mother-in-law. One of the benefits of being one of Jesus' closest disciples, your mother-in-law gets healed. Okay? Um, so Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then the cost of following Jesus. So there's some teaching in there that Jesus mixes in with what he's doing. Jesus calms a storm. Then the next heading is Jesus heals two men with demons. So I don't know what you believe about demons and all that, but the Bible says that they exist, that there's angels, there's demons, that there's good spirits and bad spirits, okay? That not all spiritual stuff is good. If you're into spiritual stuff, be careful because there's bad spirits out there. Um, and what he says is there's two men that have, their, that have their lives affected by demons. And that doesn't happen as a victim. It's not like the horror movies. It happens as people give their lives over to saying, I want nothing to do with God, I want to kind of go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And that we open up our lives to demonic influence. Okay, so Jesus goes up to two of those dudes and heals them. Then the next one is Jesus heals a paralytic. So somebody that's paralyzed, Jesus heals him. Then the next one is Jesus calls Matthew. And this kind of seems out of place because you can see the pattern, right? Jesus heals this guy. Jesus heals this guy. Jesus heals this guy. And then it's Jesus calls Matthew. And and as I was studying this um, several years ago, I, didn't, I haven't been preparing this sermon for several years, but several years ago when I was studying this, it seemed a little out of place. Like, okay, he heals this guy, he heals this guy, he heals this guy, and then it comes to Jesus calls Matthew. What's up with that? But this is Jesus healing a sinful person in the sense of him forgiving somebody because Matthew's a tax collector, and nobody likes tax collectors even today, right? But, even, but back then, this was a traitor to their country. This would have been as a Jew working for Nazi Germany. That's what a tax collector was despised, hated, sinful, horrible. I mean, tax collector was even just slang to say like an evil person. Be like, man, that guy's like a tax collector. And so Jesus comes up to Matthew and forgives him and Matthew becomes one of Jesus' apostles, one of his 12 closest people. That's pretty amazing. So Jesus heals Matthew. Then the next one, a question about fasting, so some teaching again mixed in. A girl restored to life and a woman healed. Okay, so these, both of these have medical conditions. Jesus heals them. Then the next one is Jesus heals two blind men. Then the next one is Jesus heals a man unable to speak. Then the next one is the passage that we're looking at. And it makes sense when you see the pattern of what Jesus has been doing. So here's what it says after everything we just looked at. What's God's heart for people? Here's what Jesus says. This comes right after what we just, everything we just read. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, that's like a Jewish church, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Dot, dot, dot means skipping a couple verses. And he called to him his twelve disciples, these twelve Jesus sent out. So what's God's heart for people? It's compassion. Right? Jesus looks at all of these people, all of these hurting people, all of these broken people, and his heart is compassion. And here's what I want you to know. If you find yourself in any of those stories, whether, and you know, maybe you're not blind or mute or paralyzed. Actually, I preached at church this morning and there was several blind people there. I don't know. They must have a ministry to, to blind folks or something, but there was like five or six blind people there. But whatever, wherever it is you are in life, Jesus' heart towards you is compassion. So if you feel if you feel physically suffering, Jesus' heart towards you is compassion. But but listen, here's what's amazing about Jesus. I mean, you ever watch some of those scary movies, horror movies with demons and ghosts and all that kind of stuff? Or you've seen previews for them, even if you don't watch them, or you can imagine them even if you don't. Nobody has compassion for the ghost. Right, like if you've seen the exorcist and the head spinning and pukes coming out, no one goes, oh. Right, you go, ah! But Jesus has compassion for people oppressed by demons. Possessed with, so here's what this means, listen to this. And this is a little weird, okay, but just go with me here. I mean, there is a spiritual reality where there is God, and it's not yin-yang where these are opposite forces of equal power, but there is a real devil that is absolutely against God and everything he's about, okay? And so somebody has said, I'm on that side. So your worst enemy. And Jesus looks over there and goes, man, I've got compassion for them. I mean, that's not, I mean, if somebody found your worst enemy and said, I'm on their side, your heart probably wouldn't be, man, I got compassion for him. It'd be anger, right? It'd be, man, I'm gonna get that guy. But Jesus' heart, even towards people that have aligned themselves with demons, is compassion. Now look, even if you don't believe that, okay, even if you don't believe in demons or devils or whatever, that's fine, I don't care. But just look at what this is saying about Jesus. That he's got compassion for even those people. And Matthew. So, the worst sinner you can imagine, think of him. And it's probably, oh, I hate that guy. Or, oh, that girl, man. Jesus's heart towards Matthew, compassion. Because we get, I mean... If you saw someone paralyzed, uh, I was going to say walk in here, but if you saw someone paralyzed being brought in here or someone blind to be brought in here, you would have compassion, right? I mean, if you, I mean, I imagine everybody in here would. You wouldn't go, that guy. Right? You'd have compassion. But, but if the worst sinner that you know, and if people with demons and, you know, in those like movies come in here, we, we wouldn't go, oh man, I got compassion for them. Probably, right? But that's Jesus' heart so what's God's heart for people? It is, I mean, there's a deep, deep compassion that he sees people as harassed and helpless, as sheep without a shepherd, which that's saying, man, Jesus, the Bible refers to Jesus as the good shepherd, and he wants to love and take care of his sheep. He wants to get a flock together and say, man, I really love you and want to care for you and want you in my family. That's Jesus's heart. And so he looks out and sees all these people suffering, sinning, and says, man, my heart is I want them to have a shepherd. I want them to have other sheep. I want them to have a community. I want them to be brought back to me. The Bible talks about this as reconciliation. See so what the Bible says is that we have all strayed away from God, every single one of us. That's the core of sin. The core of sin is that we are focused on ourselves and we say, I'm going to do my own thing. And that God wants to reconcile us. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to say, I'm bringing you back to the shepherd. I'm bringing you back to myself. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. It's amazing. That's, so the Bible calls this the gospel, good news. Because if you think about, man, Matthew, that guy's kind of screwed, right? But not, not for Jesus. For Jesus, the gospel is, no, Jesus goes after that guy. I mean, if you've got a demon, you're probably thinking, God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. But the gospel is, nope. Jesus says, I've got compassion for you. I want you. I see you as sheep without a shepherd, and I want good for you. So wherever you are tonight, and I, I mean, I know you're in different places, okay? That's God's heart for you. God's heart for you is compassion. It's, I, I, he sees you, and he wants you. That's amazing. Okay, and if you're outside of that, like you haven't experienced that, that's his heart for you tonight, to know that. And if you have experienced that, then just remember, man, that was God's heart toward me. He saw me as a sheep without a shepherd, and he said, I'm going after you, I want you. This is God's heart for people. This is God's heart for the world, it's his heart for you, it's his heart for people out there, it's his heart for everybody. So then the question is this, and we're just kind of digging in a little more specifically to what we talked about last week, what's his strategy? his strategy? How does he do that? If that's what God's heart is for the world, if that's what God's heart is for people, what does he do? Because here's what we don't see happen. He doesn't say, man, I really want these people to have a shepherd. So I'm going to, and he's Jesus, right? So he can like do whatever. He didn't go, I'm going to just clone myself. That's the sound cloning makes and just kind of put myself every country. He didn't do that. Or he didn't just say, okay, you know what? There's a lot of people out there that need me, they need a shepherd. I see that they're broken, I see they're afflicted, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand right here, I'm going to get a big megaphone and say, come to me. I'm going to set up Jesus World Ministries and just .com and, hey, just come to me, I'm right here. He didn't do that either, right? So what was his plan? Here's what it said. Back to the same text. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So here's what he's saying. Think about like a, uh, you know, it's peach season. Palisade peaches, anybody? Can I, get a, can I get an amen on Palisade peaches? So we got Palisade, man, you guys actually amen. All right, got to talk about food more. Okay, so Palisade peaches, Palisade peaches. Let's say you got this whole orchard, all this ripe fruit, but nobody to pick it. And Jesus looks out into the world and he sees people that need him. And he says, it's like, man, It's ripe. There's a bunch of people out there that need a shepherd. There's a bunch of people out there that need my compassion, that need my healing, that need my forgiveness. It is ripe. So what's my strategy? Strategy is the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. And then what does he do? He answers his own prayer. He calls to him his 12 disciples and sends them out. And this is kind of the pre-version of the next of, of the end of the book. Because then that's what he tells them to do again. But I want you to see this. Jesus looks out and he has compassion, and his strategy is we gotta send people out. We gotta send people out there so that they can know there's forgiveness and healing and life and a God that is compassionate. That's what his strategy is. Now, here's let me let me just say this, okay? Because Sometimes we get this backwards. So let me speak to those of you that this is your church. If you're just visiting, you can ignore this. You can look at your phone for a minute. Um, so here, here's, what, here's what sometimes we do. And this isn't bad, okay? This isn't bad, but it's just not what Jesus did. We can pray, Lord, there's a lot of people out there that need you. Would you bring them here? But that's not what Jesus did. He said, man, there's a lot of people out there that need compassion. There's a lot of people out there that need a shepherd. There's a lot of people out there that need healing. And so Jesus says, let's go out there to them. And so here's the next thing. This is, the, this, this is where Jesus says this right, right after he dies and resurrects, then he get, gathers all his disciples to him, and he, he says the same thing. And we looked at this verse a little bit last week, and here's what he says. Now the 11 disciples, that's because there was 12, but Judas, he's a bad guy. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, most encouraging line in the Bible to me. These guys saw Jesus die and resurrect, and some of them are like, I don't know about that. Jesus came and said to them, I say it's encouraging because, I mean, don't you still have doubts? I'm not necessarily saying in belief in God, maybe, but just in like, man, is he really going to come through? So do these guys. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So here's the same thing he told them before. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, they are the strategy. This is the same thing he said to them before. God loves people. His heart for them is to be returned to him as a shepherd. To be forgiven, to be healed. And he says, the way I do that isn't magic. The way I do that isn't just staying on this earth and setting up shop. It's gathering together labors for the harvest and saying, go, go out. Go to the people that need me. Go to them. That's what Jesus' strategy is. At the end of every book that tells the story of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, which tells the beginning of the church, all of those have something like this. This is Jesus' last words to his disciples. I mean, you always pay attention to someone's last words, right? Whatever someone's last words are, you listen. And... These were Jesus' last words to his disciples. This is what he said now defines. If you're a Christian, this is what defines your life. If you are a Christian, this is what defines your life. This is what Jesus said. He said, there's people out there that need a shepherd. There's people out there that need grace and forgiveness. And my heart for them, my purpose in this world is compassion. And so my strategy is go out into the world and make disciples and that's a word we don't really use, right? Disciples. But that's what it means. It means people, and this is what we're talking about, really. It means people that know... I mean, here, here, Here's what it means. It says it right here. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe what I've commanded you. That, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone that has been baptized. And here's what baptism is. Baptism is two things. One it represents a new identity that's what baptism into the name of means you know like if you ever joined a frat or a sorority or you've seen movies with them you're you are entered into that name of that organization that's what bap and they baptize you by hitting you and making you run around naked or whatever they do right i wasn't in one but i've heard stories this is this is what baptism is baptism is we take people, we put them in the water to show that their old life is gone and dead just as Jesus was buried and dead and now they're entered into a new life with him in his name. That they have a new identity found in his name. That their identity is now, I share in life with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's God, Trinity. So baptism is people that have, a disciple is somebody that knows and has been changed by Jesus. But it, baptism is also an entrance into a community. That when people would become a part of a church, when the church first got started, it was repent and be baptized. And then that's their entrance into the community, just like a frat or a sorority. There's an, it's not just you are by yourself, phita Kappa, Delta person. It's you're entered into a community. That's what baptism is. So see, a disciple is somebody that has a new identity in Jesus, somebody that's a part of a new community, and then it's somebody that begins to live their life going, okay, my whole life is to follow Jesus. My whole life is to do what he said. My whole life is then, and part of that is to go make disciples. Teach them to observe everything I commanded. Well, one of the the last things he commanded, go make disciples. And this is really what we're talking about over these last 12, or these 12 weeks in the summer. True Jesus, true community, true purpose. It's just a disciple. And so Jesus said, this is what defines our life. If we're Christians, what defines our life is this statement. This is what our purpose is. It's to make disciples. This is the purpose that Jesus gave to us. We are his strategy to help people know him, how good he is, how, compa- I mean, how compassionate he is. We're his strategy to help people return to the shepherd. We're his strategy to help people find Life with Him. And to help people experience community. We're His strategy for that. So here's a question. What's God's strategy? It's us making disciples. So here's just a question for you. Is that your life purpose? Now listen, if you're not a Christian, that shouldn't be your life purpose. Your life, I mean, it should be one day. But your life purpose is... Jesus wants you to know. He wants you to come to him. He, he's looking at you with compassion and says, I want you to come to me as your shepherd. But if you're a Christian, is that your purpose? And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But I'm just, I mean, I've got to teach what the Bible says. Is that your purpose? Is your purpose that you look at your life and you go, okay, I'm here to make disciples. Jesus really loves people. He really cares for people. He really wants people to know him. And he said that I'm his strategy, and so that's how I'm living my life. Is that is that how you're living your life? There's a pastor named Francis Chan, um, and he's a, he writes books and stuff too. And I heard him speak, and he said, um, you know, sometimes what Christians do, and this is sad, you know, but sometimes what we do as Christians, Jesus says, go make disciples, and we don't. And what that's kind of like, what we do is, It's like, you know, let's say you had a kid, some of you do, and if you have a child and you tell them, hey, I want you to go clean your room, go clean your room, and instead what they did was, okay, go clean your room, hmm, I'm going to think about that, what does it mean? What does go clean your room mean in the Greek? I'm going to study that, I'm going to go in my room and read about cleaning my room, or maybe they go, go clean your room, Whoa. that's heavy, I'm convicted by that. Cleaning my room, man. And then you check in on them. Hey, did you clean your room? I've been thinking about it. I got a Bible study about cleaning my room. I'm talking. To, I'm reading books about cleaning my room. I feel bad about not cleaning my room. Well, that's not what I said. I said clean your room. Or think about this. Here's another way to say it. Jesus says, "Here's your purpose. Go make disciples." So what if you went to a restaurant? Let's say you go to a pizza place. You say, "Hey, I'd like you to make me a pizza." I know that's not how you really order, but may, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe that's what you do. If you're in New York, you know, people have a little bit more of an edge. Well, make me a pizza, okay? So let's say, make, make me a pizza. And the guy's like, see, I'm talking about food again, see? Can I get an amen on pizza? <laughs> okay, so, so you're like, hey, make me a pizza. And the guy's like, you come back, maybe in an hour. You're a little hungry now. Like, did you make me a pizza? No. And you notice nobody has a pizza. Like wait, you're a, this. The restaurant's called Pizza Making, and you don't make pizzas. <laughs> so the guy doesn't have a very creative, you know, marketing. Okay. Or let's say you're a surgeon. You're like, hey, have you done any operations? No. But you're calling yourself a surgeon. Yeah. Or let's say you're a real estate agent, and you say, hey, I'm a real estate agent. Have you sold any houses? No. But see, Jesus says what Christians do, their job description is make disciples. That's what he says. Jesus says the job description of a Christian is make disciples. And so if we come to a Christian and say, hey, did you make any disciples? I mean, I'm just, I'm I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to ask you to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. Is that the purpose of your life? I think we just got to wrestle with that. Because a lot of times what happens as Christians, and if you're not a Christian, you're like, man, I don't want to be a Christian. This sounds crazy. But I want to let you know up front. And Jesus always did that. He let people know up front before they followed him, hey, this is what it is. To make a Christian, to be a Christian, is to be someone that is saying, my life has been changed by Jesus, and so I'm a part of his purposes. I'm making disciples. But a lot of times what happens as Christians is we say, you know what? What? I want to focus on me. I want to focus on me. So, you know, we create groups for people to just focus on ourselves, and we think about ministry ideas for ourselves, and we think about, I mean, the church becomes this internal focus thing where it's all about us. Let's, I mean, back to what Francis Chan said, "Let's, let's get more ways we can study the Bible. Okay, great, I got a passage for you to study. Matthew 28. But we we think about all these ways to say, let's just create stuff for us. And Jesus said, here's what I'm giving you to go do. Here's your purpose. But the church becomes so internally focused. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that the church is supposed to be light, which means it's supposed to shine into a world and show what God is like, basically. And he says then, but you know what? If a light is hidden under a basket, that's kind of lame. So to translate that, it's like, man, if a flashlight's just sitting on the aisle of Home Depot, you can call it a light, but it's nothing. Or Jesus says we're salt, which means we're supposed to be people that make the world taste good, to to feel the flavor of God, to show how good God is. You know, the Bible says that God tastes good. Just come see, come taste and see the Lord is good. And the church is supposed to be salt that shows that. But salt sitting in the grocery store just on the aisle Doesn't do anything. And Jesus warns us about that. And He says, don't let your life be this thing that's just about you. Don't be a flashlight sitting in Home Depot. Don't be salt sitting at King Supers. That's my paraphrase of what Jesus said, just so you know. He didn't prophesy that those things would exist. So, are you making disciples? I'll just tell you this, and I'm okay. I know some of you are visiting, but I'm okay with just saying this now, just to let you know so you can never come back if you want to. I mean, this is what our church is about. We're about what Jesus is about. We're about making disciples, and you will just always be frustrated if that's not what you're about. If what you're about is just let's have a safe haven for Christians, let's just have a safe place that we can study the Bible and never do what it says, that's just you will always be frustrated here. And we started this church because we believe that Jesus really, really loves people. And we just believe that. I mean, I just just believe that. I mean, I will die for that. I believe Jesus loves people so much. And so then he says, man, be a part of this with me. And that's what our church is about. And it will always be about that. That there is a good shepherd that wants people to experience life with him. And, and as Christians, look, I, I, I know when the disciples, I don't know why we got so twisted. But it's, I know when the disciples heard this, they weren't going, fine, I guess I'll do it. No, they were like, let's go. And Jesus actually said, wait, 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 wait. You have to wait till I give you my Holy Spirit. But they were like ready to go. But when we hear this sometimes, I, and I don't know what's going on in your heart, but I know sometimes when we hear this, we're kind of like, oh, okay, make disciples. All right, if I can fit it in on Thursday." But man, Jesus says, this is your life, this is your purpose. So are you doing it? Let me let me go to the next thing. Why do we find this to be difficult? And and here's the thing, some of you are doing this, some of you are living your life like this. And I want, and here's what I want you to know. Be encouraged that this is what your life is supposed to be about. And so it can be difficult, but if this is how you're actually living your life, sometimes it's like, man, I want to give up. But be encouraged. This is what your life is about. And so just because it's hard doesn't mean you should stop. But why do we find it to be difficult? Whether, Whether why do we find it to be difficult to start living our life like that, or why do we find it difficult even if we are doing it? Why do we find it to be difficult? I think the answer to that is that we forget the compassion that Jesus has had for us. See, if you experience that compassion from that good shepherd, from that love, from that, I mean, if you you feel that, then you want to go give it. So Matthew, right? Matthew was one of the people, Jesus heals the paralytic, he heals the blind man, he heals Matthew. Matthew experienced that compassion. And as he experienced that, you know what he did? Well, we were reading from the book of Matthew. He said, man, I want to go out and give it. I want to help people. Jesus was so good to me. I want other people to know that. So why do we find it difficult? Because we forget how good Jesus has been to us. So if you're not a Christian, again, I want you to experience how good Jesus is to you. That's what I want you to experience. But if you are a Christian, Jesus has been good to you. He's been good to you in that he saved you from death, life apart from him. But even just think about, man, think about your life. Think about your life and just even some of the things we said of here's what life is as a disciple. Do you feel like God has shown you more clearly who he is in the last year, two years? Do you feel like God has worked in your heart to help you repent of sin and be free from things? Man, don't you want other people to experience that that haven't? Do you feel like God's given you community and maybe not, you know, maybe you're, Maybe you're lonely, but if God's given you community, I hate that sometimes we go, man, this is so great, I'm just gonna keep this. But what should happen is we go, man, God, thank you for that. I want other people. I mean, some of you I know, even, again, part of our church here, you've made friends and you didn't have friends before. Man, don't you want other people to feel the joy of that? Don't you want other people to know the joy of community, of being a part of a community where people love you and serve you and help you to know Jesus. See, we forget though, man, Jesus has been good to me. He's changed my life. He's helped me know him. He's worked in me. He's, he's given me community. He's given me friends. And so then we go, man, we forget that. And so then making disciples becomes a burden or we don't do it at all. Or what about purpose? Some of you, for the first time in your life, I know because I've talked to you you feel like, man, I actually am a part of God's purposes. And you like that because it's awesome. Don't you want other people to stop living a purpose that's actually fake and go, man, I can actually be a part of God's purposes? So why do we find it difficult? It's because we forget what Jesus has done to us and for us. And instead, we just kind of Look at people as a burden instead of compassion. But when you experience the love that Jesus has for you, then you want other people to know that love. And and here's the thing. It becomes the greatest joy of your life. It just does. It becomes the greatest joy of your life if you are living a part of God's purposes. Because you're designed for that. We all know this. We all know that we're designed for purpose. That's why we all long for it and crave it. And when we're actually living as a part of God's purposes, where we're making disciples, we're helping people to, to know Jesus, to experience community, to have their life purpose changed, when we actually go, okay, I'm going to do it, we experience joy like we've never had. You know, we've showed different stories up here in video. People that have experienced community, people that have come to know Jesus for the first time, people that said I'm done with the church and and then said no you know what man I'm, I actually found a family. We've shown different videos up here. But there's more and more and more people out there like that. And God's strategy to love them is you. Or if you're not a Christian, God wants you to come to know him and then he wants to give you a purpose. And it doesn't matter who you are. You might be Matthew the tax collector. You might be just kind of average Joe fisherman like Peter was and Jesus says, "Nope. I'm going to make you somebody that has a purpose, that gets to the end of their life and says, that was awesome. That's what Jesus' heart is for you. Final thing is this. How do missionaries live? Because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about being a missionary. And that's where that word missionary comes from. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus says, I am going to send laborers into the harvest. That word send in Latin is missio. And that's where we get the word missionary from. And so Jesus says, if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. That's what he says. If you're a Christian, you are a missionary. That's what defines your life. And, you know, if you haven't heard that before, that can seem kind of weird because missionaries are people that are in other countries. But Jesus says, no, mission, a missionary is someone that's sent. And I'm sending you if you're a Christian. And so how do missionaries live? If God's heart for people is for them to know his compassion, for them to be brought back to Him and were His strategy. How do we actually live? And it's endless, okay? Which is why I'm going to talk for three more hours. No, it's, it's endless. And so I'm just going to give you a couple things. But I encourage you to think about it and to dig in deeper to it. But how do missionaries live? I'll give you three things. One is this, and this is just kind of the overarching one. It's intentionality. A missionary lives intentionally. Now, I've done this before with some of you in smaller group settings, but think about this. If we were going to go to India and be missionaries, okay, India a lot of people that don't know Jesus, a lot of people that Jesus loves and wants to come to know him. If we were going to all move over there, so this room right here, we're like, hey, let's move to India, be missionaries. What would happen? So let's think through some questions. Where would we live? Where would we work? What would we do with our free time? What would we do with our money? What kind of people would you want to be with you? How about this? What would you complain about? Because we complain about a lot of things in the church. What kind of ideas would you be thinking through? What would you pray about? What would you be studying and trying to learn about? Most people I know are studying something. What would you be studying about? Now, here's the thing. Every time I've done this with a smaller group, the ideas are awesome. Like, I'm ready to move to India after it. I'm like, let's go. You guys would be awesome missionaries in India. Let's go for it. And then, like, okay, so, but guess what? We are missionaries, and we're in America. And then it's like, oh, well, I want to live here because it's nice, and I want to kind of, pr- I pray about this, and i kind of learning about this. And like, what just happened? You're the best Indian missionaries the world's ever seen, and then, like we come to America, i like, oh, I lost it all. I don't, what happens? I don't know. Let's just go to India instead and have them come over here and they can do that. If you lived in America, what would you do? But that's what Jesus says, is live your life intentionally. Every part of your life should be thought through intentionally because we are missionaries here, I and mean, we are. That's just a fact. So think through intentionally about your life. Every, and here's the thing. This means all of your life matters, it's not just, okay, what do you do? you What would you do on a Sunday? It's your whole life matters. Every single part of it matters. Because if we all went to India, I can tell you this, we wouldn't all become pastors. That would be dumb. And they'd go, why did 60 pastors just show up? Right? So all of your life matters. The work you do matters. The, the things that you enjoy playing, if you play soccer or softball, that matters. If you have a mom's group or a Dads don't really have groups, but if you had a dad's group, I mean, all of it matters. Everything matters. It all, all of your life matters. God cares about every part of your life. Every part of your money, every part of your time, every part of your hobbies, every part of your relationships, every part of your prayers. He cares about all of it. And it, is, and it all counts. It all counts. It's not just church stuff that counts. It all counts. But we have to think through it Intentionally. God, how can I live as a missionary? So here's your homework. Answer those questions and just think about it. If you're in a community group, talk about it with your community group and answer those questions. I don't know why we get so off track in all the things we think about and all the ideas we think about or just how can we serve ourselves and how can we help ourselves and how can we, instead of like, man, we're, mission, we're supposed to go make disciples and help people know Jesus, help people experience his love. So that's the first thing. We're all missionaries. This, by the way, this doesn't just mean you're adding additional things to your life. It just means you're being intentional with your life. Maybe you have to add something additional, but it mainly means just be intentional with your life. Second thing is this. You have to develop relationships. I mean, you can't make disciples without people. You can't make disciples by reading a book, praying in a room. You have to actually know people. And so here's what that means. Some of you are Christians, and you don't know anybody that's not a Christian. And God wants people that don't know him to know him. And I'm not talking about, and if the first thought in your mind is, oh, I don't want people to be a project, then, man, you haven't felt the love that God has for those people. Because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying God loves people a lot, and he wants people to know him. And I've seen people come to know Jesus, and I see their life change. That they find community, and they find purpose, and they find healing, and they find forgiveness. And I want that for people. But you have to know people that don't know Jesus. So if you're a Christian, and all of your relationships are just people like you, God's saying, I want you to go. But here's the other thing. Maybe you know tons of people that don't know Jesus. Every single, maybe these are the only people you know that do know Jesus. And maybe you don't like them. But some of us just kind of go, well, I'm gonna hang out with a bunch of people that don't know Jesus, and I'm just, there isn't love flowing out of your heart towards them, though. You don't want the best thing for them. You're just kind of blending in. So we got to think about that too. Because Jesus' heart for people was, I want them to have a shepherd. I want them to be healed. I want them to be forgiven. That was God's heart. That is God's heart towards people. It's not just blend in. So here's what I'm saying. Develop relationships with people, which means this. It means find ways to love people, okay? I'm not talking about being creepy and knocking on doors. I'm talking about go love people. Like build relationships with people and love people. Go love them because God loves them. And actually take an interest in them as human beings because God takes an interest in them as human beings. And find out their stories and their life and care for them like God cares for them. And, and pray for them. like it, That's what Jesus said, right? Like, Let me ask you this. Let's say all your prayers from this last week got answered. What would happen? Would you be cuter? have a lot of hits on your dating profile. You would have had a really safe travel. Your aunt's ankle would have gotten better, which there's nothing wrong with your aunt's ankle getting better, okay? Your dog's stomach ache would be gone. What would happen if all your... You got a job? You felt peace? And what would happen if all your prayers this last week got answered? Would anybody know Jesus as a shepherd? Would anybody experience what Jesus said we're supposed to pray earnestly for? Would you have had opportunities to be sent into the harvest? Would you have had boldness? Would you have had love in your heart for people that you didn't love before? Would you have found opportunities to serve people? Would you have found ways to show tangibly God's love for people and really show them how much God loves them and cares for them? So develop relationships, which means all of that means, man, we're really looking for, actively, how can we love people because God loves them? How can I be intentional? That's what missionaries do. Missionaries don't just go, I'm going to go find a bunch of people and say Jesus to them. They go, man, I'm going to go find ways to love people and care for them and pray for them because God does. And yeah, we do speak about Jesus to them too. But that's not just the front thing out of our mouth. We, we just love people like God loves them. And the final thing is this. We do that as a community. Meaning that God says, and Jesus talks about this, that often the best way for people to see how awesome God is is for them not to just see one Christian, but it's to see a community of people that really love one another and care for one another. And that's what we talked about the whole last four weeks. Is being a com- so so we, we don't just say, I'm going to go do this by myself. We say, yeah, I do this, but then I want people to experience the community that God wants to invite them into. That's what Jesus says, they're sheep without a shepherd. And so what God's heart is, is for them to be brought into a flock, a community of people to see how awesome it is with Jesus as their shepherd. And so that means that part of a life as a missionary is we say, man, I, I want to help people see A community of people that really love Jesus and really love one another. So we live our lives intentionally. We build relationships of love with love. And we do it as a community. Is this what you're about? This is what God is about. This is what God is about. And so we're going to take communion now. And here's what we remember that God is so compassionate, that God is so loving and caring towards the worst. That He came to this earth and He died on a cross to forgive us our sins and to give us life with Him. That His blood was shed and His body was broken. That way He could give us life. He died so we could have life. And the life that he invites us into is a life where we then get to be a part of what he is about. And so here's here's what I want you to think about as you take communion. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know God loves you so much and he's compassionate towards you and he wants you to experience him as a good shepherd. He wants you to find community and he wants you to actually find what you were made for, the purpose you were made for. And if you believe that, If that's something that you go, man, God, I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to bring me into life with you. Then come take communion for the first time, maybe. If you're a Christian, what I want you to think about is this. Two things. One, if you feel convicted, if the Holy Spirit is showing you, man, you've been about your purposes, not his. Or you've been pretending to be about his purposes, but it's not really because you have his heart. Then here's what I want you to remember. Jesus has compassion for you. That's his heart for you. So if you go, man, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner that hasn't made disciples. Great. Jesus died for you. Jesus heals the leper, the paralyzed, and the non-missionary Christian. And he says, I have compassion for you. But come to him and receive forgiveness and say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't lived. I'm sorry that I've lived my life about me instead of you. I'm sorry I haven't had your heart. And then also, just for all of us, if you're a Christian, when you come take communion, just remember God's compassion for you. Just remember how good and gracious he is. If this is what your life is about, you're, man, you're going for it, you're making disciples. Think about how gracious and good Jesus has been to you, that he has led you in that. Okay, so let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are a good God that has a heart towards us, that is compassion that your heart towards us is not judgment or condemnation, but your heart towards us is love and compassion and grace. Lord, I pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you. Would you help them to know you, God? Would you show them that you are truth? Would you show them that you are kind to them, that you have life and community and purpose for them? And God, for all of us that do know you, Lord, I pray, I pray that you would send us into your harvest. As you prayed, Jesus, Jesus, you prayed that we, would, that we here would be sent into your harvest. You, you told us, pray earnestly for that. And so, Lord, I pray earnestly for that. I pray earnestly that we would be sent into your harvest to help people to know you, to love people. Help them know how good of a shepherd you are, to help them know how good life and community is with your people. And Lord, send us into your harvest. Thank you, Jesus.